Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Okay. Welcome back to part two of Complications, one of my Machine of Death stories. Um, I have another Machine of Death story that's about vampires. I really enjoyed it. But uh, it is not what won in the poll on Patreon, and so it's not what's getting read. Thank you very much, by the way, for voting. So, part two of Complications. First, the wine, because I need it just as much today as I do any day. Oh my God, yes. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, I'm getting ready for Dragon Con Goes Virtual this weekend. That has involved a tremendous amount of time in front of Zoom, talking to people as though we were on a panel together. That is very difficult for me in some ways. It's like... I get very uh, Zoom fatigued in a big hurry, and so that gets difficult, but we're going to, I have done a bunch of them, and I'm done with them now, and they're going to run this weekend, and that's actually going to be a lot of fun, and I'm going to hang out on Discord for Dragon Con and chat with people, and it's going to be great, and hey, you like podcasts, and you're listening to this podcast, so I'm going to tell you about my other podcast this week. My friend Charlie and I launched our new podcast called Arcane Carolinas. And I will strip the audio out of our trailer and put it at the front of the next episode of Social Distancing Radio so that you get to hear about that. Basically, it's the X-Files of the Carolinas. Charlie and I both have a tremendous enthusiasm for the strange, the unexplained, the supernatural, the paranormal. And we felt like there are so many good stories hidden just out of sight on the back roads of the Carolinas that we could easily do a podcast about it. And we are, it turns out, quite right. We have material planned through like March. So uh, we're, we published it for the first time this week. We have the first five episodes out now, four normal episodes and an intro episode where we talk about ourselves and our histories. Then this weekend, as part of Dragon Kong Goes Virtual, the sixth episode is going to play as a video in the American Sci-Fi Classics Track YouTube channel, and I'll link to that from some show notes next week, but also we'll get to post that audio in our feed, so if you subscribe to Arcane Carolinas, there you go. You'll get to hear it all, and it's been so much fun to work on so far. I just really enjoy getting to talk about this stuff, and getting to theorize and sometimes we play the game of worst case scenarios 
where we talk about like if I were going to write this into a novel and it were a horror novel, like what would be the really creepy explanation behind things like the Brown Mountain Lights or the Vampire Beast of Bladenboro, things like that. So it's a lot of fun. So now that I've talked about Arcane Carolinas, I need to take one more sip of reed and wine to prepare to read. Mm. Oh yeah, that was a good choice. I can feel the words boiling inside me. And now, let's get into complications. A week later, I was going through the mail one morning before we opened, and there was one big envelope that had been returned, repackaged, and stamped all over. That happened sometimes, usually with married men. They would walk in, fill out the questionnaire, fake some of the contact information. Maybe they'd pay the deposit even, but then we couldn't bill them in future. They couldn't come back either, but that didn't stop them. They wanted to taste being single again, try it on for size without having to do the legwork to get there, but they didn't want to go all the way. It was a little like pornography in that they got to have a simulated experience. Mark said it was like going to a hooker. You pay someone to coo at you for 20 minutes and then it's back to real life. I called him a pervert when he said that, but he reminded me that I was the pervert in our friendship. Mark was basically my only straight friend, and I am absolutely certain that I was his only gay friend. We never really talked about it. He just knew, and I knew he knew, and that was that. It was the first time anyone had reacted by not reacting. The bill that had been returned to us wasn't a no-such-address, though. It had a letter enclosed that notified us in the simplest terms that Ms. Alice Lorenz had passed away from respiratory failure, and therefore our services would no longer be needed. There was a check enclosed for the balance due. The letter was signed by a lawyer who said he was the executor of the estate. Clients came and went at a dating service. It was no big deal. It wasn't like the phone company where you had to do a lot of razzmatazz to get the account set up or cut off. Deaths, for that matter, weren't that uncommon. Lots of old people came in wanting one last fling while they were still around. Some of them had less time left than they hoped. Sometimes they just wanted an excuse to get the death test. I filled out a little card and I filled out a little card and put it all in an envelope bound for corporate. Nothing in the books said we had to do so, but I sometimes like to pull the files on deceased clients and throw them away. It seemed the decent thing to do. I didn't want to think of their families laying them to rest amidst great and solemn ceremony while their folder stayed behind, gathering dust, a fly strip of desire turning orange with age in a dingy room. I dug Alice out, walked over to the shredder, and started feeding it pages. Her death card was last, of course. They're impossible not to read once they're in your hand. But hers made me pause. Pneumocystis carini pneumonia. The death prediction card of Ms. Alice Lorenz was not the first place I had encountered those words. They were what the doctors had said about my friend Ralph just a year before. His mother had said those words over and over again at the funeral. They'd been like a mantra to her. She was a pharmacy assistant. She'd heard of it before. It wasn't an illness that killed healthy people. Poor dear Ralph. He'd been so sweet to me. I could still see his face, just as plain as if he were standing there flirting with me still. He always presented himself as the Cary Grant type, big and athletic, but also lithe and feline, a suave jock who ran wind sprints between volumes of poetry. He'd wooed me like the male lead in an old romantic comedy. I only realized that I might have loved him when I found out he was dead. 
The autumn of 1981 and the winter of 1982 had been that much colder for the cavity he left in the social scene down at Ice Blue, and none of us were too proud to comment on it once or twice. Mark chucked me on the upper arm, not hard, just enough to jolt me out of my reverie. He gave me the smile he saved for girls and for me. I don't think he was even conscious of it. I think I simply didn't register with him as a non-girl. Wake up, kid. You look like you're off in dreamland. I licked my lips, suddenly parched, and my voice croaked. I need to break all the rules in the book by digging around and reading the files of as many of Buck's bags as we know. Mark raised an eyebrow at me. After two breaths, he sniffed and jerked his chin up and looked down his nose at me, thumbs hooked in the front pockets of his pleated slacks. You got it, chief. At least that made me smile. Neither of us could remember more than a couple of names entirely on our own, but we pulled their files. Two pneumonias, one lymphoma, and one toxoplasmosis. I considered those pretty damning, given what I knew, but Mark didn't seem to think it was a big deal. He was mainly helping me because I'd asked, and because it was a tiny way of screwing with Buck. These aren't solid enough, I finally said. I shook my head. These were middle-aged and older people. They were already in decline. None of these were especially shocking causes of death, if they lived another three or four decades. I put the folders back and leaned against the cabinet where the last of them had gone, my arms crossed on the top edge of it, and my forehead resting on my hands where they overlapped at the wrist. Mark walked over and leaned back against a drawer, three filing cabinets down. I'm going out front for a smoke. Want to join me? I lifted my head and sighed. My mother says I should quit. She says they're going to kill me one day. Mark smirked. Is she right? I smiled a little. No. We didn't have any customers in, and Buck was on his day off. We didn't even bother to put up the ridiculously over-embellished Back Soon sign printed on flowing script on waxed cardboard with suction cups at the corners. We walked out into the mall corridor, quiet as the tomb on a Tuesday afternoon in September, and sat down on the bench two doors down from the store. Huge brass ashtrays flanked the bench, too heavy for some teenager to steal, and Mark passed me his pack out of politeness. I looked at it for a second and then took one out. I thought you were switching to those ultra-low tar kind. I tried them, but they were like smoking rolled up water. I went back to my regulars. What's the point of pretending you're going to kill me? Somewhere out there is a bus with my name on it. I look both ways when I cross the street, but one's going to get me all the same. Might as well have a smoke before I go. He frowned and puffed his cigarette, held between the base of his thumb and the middle of the underside of his index finger. Mark didn't impress didn't Mark didn't express a lot of deep thinking, but I could tell there was machinery going at it in there. What's going to get you? He jerked a thumb at me in a vague way. Electrocution, I said. I shrugged back at him, but I suppose I still turn on the lights at night. Exactly, Mark said. It's all just a pile of paper at the end of the day. Maybe it's the 315 bus today. Maybe it's the 945 20 years from now. Maybe it's a bus that runs off the road and wipes out the burger joint where I'm having lunch. Still gotta have lunch. I smiled at him. You don't eat at hamburger joints. Mark smirked at me. You know what I mean. I nodded. I did. So what's this about Buck's Roadkill? He tried to sound casual, but he wasn't a good actor. I opened my mouth to answer, but then closed it again, took a drag from the cigarette, took another, and then ashed with something of a flourish. I think he's making them sick. What with? You think he's poisoning them or something? 
Mark hiked his eyebrows a little closer, like the lapels of a coat on a cold day. Have you ever heard of... I stopped and started over. I'm sure you've read in the... I stopped again and turned to look at Mark and say, very evenly, he's giving them something called AIDS. At least, I think he is. You may have heard it called GRID or even gay cancer, but they just gave it a new name. I waved a hand in the distance, wherever they were, whoever they might be. Nobody knows what it is, but it makes people get sick and die all of a sudden from things that aren't supposed to kill them. Mostly it's pneumonia and a cancer called KS. My voice caught. I knew someone who probably died from it last year. That's the, uh, Mark searched for the right words, then said the best he could come up with. That's the homo disease, right? No offense intended. I let myself smile at that. It wasn't easy being someone's only gay friend. It wasn't easy having him as my only straight friend. Nothing had ever happened between us and nothing ever would. I knew that and I was glad of that because I didn't particularly want that. Oh, Mark was a looker, all right. Dark hair, olive skin, brushing just close enough to 30 to look like he knew what to do with you. But he was like having a puppy who's also your big brother. Last year at the Christmas party, when we'd realized the only other people left were Buck and those weird sisters who work Thursdays and Saturdays, we'd stolen the bottle of Popov and climbed onto the roof of the mall to drink and watch the stars. I fell asleep on his shoulder and woke up with his coat stretched around both of us. He snored like a chainsaw. We were genuine peers after that, and I found it such a novel sensation that it blanked out any more salacious desires on my part. I like to think that there was a future out there somewhere in which a guy like Mark and a person like myself could be acquaintances or even neighbors, maybe see each other sometimes in the lobby of our nice apartment building, and we could be friends just because we wanted to be instead of because we worked together. That was probably the future of someone else, though. I doubted I would live that many centuries. Yes, I said, but it isn't just us who can get it. Mark gave me a highly doubtful glance. I don't know. I heard it's basically homos and junkies. A thought occurred to him and he chucked me on the arm again. Hey, you don't have it, do you? You're okay, right? I'm just fine, I said. But thank you for asking. Now, finish that cigarette and help me break into Buck's office. And that is part two of Complications. I'm going to have another glass of reading wine. Oh, yeah. And thanks for listening. Join me next time when we'll finish up Complications. And then I'll talk a little about what went into writing the story and things like that. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.